Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are going to open the Word to Revelation chapter 18. And if you are joining us tonight for the first time, or it's been a while since you've been here, we are progressing chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the great book of Revelation. And we are deep, deep within the days of the earth's future, a time period that the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. Now, very briefly, let me get us up and running in this study. God has allowed sin to run rampant in this whole world for many centuries. And in fact, I believe that you and I can feel around us the fact that sin is becoming more and more deeply embedded in our world. Some have believed, perhaps, that God has turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to all the sin that takes place in this world and the wickedness on our earth. However, this seven-year period of the Great Tribulation shows us that God is going to repay and punish sin and hard-hearted sinners. There will come a day when God is going to take care of all the sin that has taken place, and He's going to even up the books and even up the score. I also believe by evidence in the Bible that before these days of the Great Tribulation take place, that God is going to rapture, extract his church out of this world before all of this punishment is poured upon the earth. I will remind you of this very briefly as we studied the first few chapters of Revelation. If you remember, chapters 2 and 3 deal with seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And we see the direction that the church is given by the Lord God Almighty, and we can see that there's nothing that is addressed to those churches that doesn't apply to the church of the modern day. However, when chapter 4 opens, as John sees into the heavenly glory, the church is never mentioned again in the book. I believe that God does indeed, before the great tribulation begins, extract his church off of this earth. He takes the light out of the world. He takes the salt out of the earth. And that's when the rot and that's when the true darkness sets in. So at that point, then, he begins the holy process of concluding human history by punishing sin through the Great Tribulation. Now, during this period of time, a satanic, wicked, earthly leader is going to rise up. He is called the Beast, or he is called the Antichrist. He establishes a very wicked rulership in which all nations are affected and led by and enamored by this son of Satan. Now, as God pours forth his holy anger upon sin, God employs the great tribulation in his economy of bringing righteous, righteousness back to this earth and back to his creation. This is a process of repayment. Now, the great tribulation is accomplished basically in three phases. Phase number one, and we see this in Revelation chapter 5, verse 7, that Jesus receives the great scroll of earth's ownership. Jesus receives it from the very hand of God. He is the only one who can receive it. When God holds that 
a sealed document in his hands. All of heaven says no one has the authority to take this document from the hand of God. But yes, there is one and only one. It is the Lamb of God, the one who gained the right to receive that deed of ownership by dying on the cross for our lostness. And as Jesus, the Lamb of God, receives that document of ownership, it is sealed with seven seals. And as Jesus breaks each one of those seals, one by one, a tribulation, a punishment is poured upon the earth. That's phase one. Phase two, as the great tribulation travels through, when the seventh seal, the last seal on that document is broken, seven trumpets blow and each one of those trumpets delivers a plague or a punishment upon the earth. Phase three, as we see the great tribulation coming to a close, when the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal blows, God then begins the final process of punishing sin on this earth by pouring out seven vials or bowls of wrath upon the earth. Those are basically the three aspects of the great tribulation, uh, three major phases of the tribulation as God is finishing up retribution for sin. Now, let me interject this. I want you to bear in mind and never forget this truth. Throughout all of these punishments, the door of heaven is still open. The church is not here. And so church is not represented on the earth anymore. All of God's people who are part of the church age are gone. Gone to be with him in heaven. But the gospel is still being preached. There are still evangelists on the earth preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. 144,000 coming from the Jewish nation who have been saved and they cover the earth sharing the salvation and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And anyone who comes to Christ during the tribulation will be saved. They may be persecuted because of the way that the earth's leadership is going, but they will be saved. They will have a home in glory. So the the great tribulation is not just pure punishment, but rather the great tribulation is God's final exhibit of his absolute power, and this is the final call, final call to be saved. All aboard. Anyone is going to be left behind if they don't come to Christ in these moments as the great tribulation closes. Now, in chapter 17, the last time that we met together, we studied the false church or a false religion that the Antichrist aligns with. And this religion, so-called religion, is a Christless religion It is not real. It is not true. This religion leads people away from Christ and into spiritual and moral adultery. Now, after the Antichrist uses this false religion to misguide the world, he then destroys it. He divorces himself from this false church. In fact, if you read the end of chapter 17, it says that he burns it, it is destroyed, it is annihilated, it will never return again. So that false religion is gone, but what does the Antichrist do? He sets himself up as God. So at that point, there is no other religion on the world, but rather the the Antichrist focuses religion and worship upon himself. He's he's established a political and a financial kingdom that is rich and glorious, and now he also claims himself to be God. Well, that brings us to chapter 18. We need to move along so we can cover this chapter tonight. 
The false religious kingdom is gone, but the Antichrist has established himself as God in a kingdom that is called Babylon. It's amazing, isn't it? We just finished the study of Daniel, and we are very familiar with the term Babylon. It was true 2,500 years ago that Babylon existed as a major world power. It is also true in days that are ahead of us. We don't know exactly the date, but we know that they're ahead of us, that a Babylon will exist in the day of the Antichrist. Babylon is the central ruling city of the world. We are not sure. It is, the Bible is not specific as to exactly where it is, But it is the kingdom of the Antichrist and every other nation will be dependent upon Babylon in order to exist and have well-being. Babylon, the kingdom of the Antichrist, is the glue that holds this lost world together. And God will completely destroy it at the end of the Great Tribulation. So tonight, it's 24 verses long, but we are going to read together. Revelation chapter 18. Turn in your Bible with me. I want you to remember as you turn there that it promises us in chapter 1 verse 3 that if we simply read this word, we will be blessed. We are automatically blessed because we open and hear God's word. So tonight, we open ourselves for blessing as we hear chapter 18. Listen to these words. Follow along with me. And after these things, as John writes... I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached into heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you. And double unto her double, according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. Death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth, who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city For in one hour is thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. 
the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which are made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city! wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged her on, avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of his word, Revelation chapter 18. God declares that the wickedness of Babylon and the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be destroyed. Now, let's take a look at Babylon's personality. Do you remember, I'm sure you do, in Genesis chapter 11, that humankind decided to build one tower in Shinar with its pinnacle reaching into heaven. It was called the Tower of Babel. Mankind decided that instead of waiting for God to reach to them, that man would reach up to God. The building of the Tower of Babel was actually an act of defiance Rather than wait on the grace and mercy of God to come, man decided to reach into heaven trying to be God. But of course, we know that God confounded their language and their building plans before that tower was built. So the Tower of Babel never reached into heaven. 
God interceded so that it did not happen. Man does not have the capability to reach into heaven. But I want you to look at what Revelation says about Babylon. Revelation chapter 18, verse 5. Her sins have reached into heaven. So Babylon's wickedness is going to exceed anything that we are familiar with on this earth. Now, looking at some of Babylon's wickedness, Satan worship was rampant or is rampant in this city of the Antichrist. There will be temples dedicated to sexual pleasure. There will be temples dedicated to hedonism, probably dedicated to Satan himself. According to verse 7 of this 18th chapter, Babylon will have the attitude of saying, I am rich. I am great. You're always going to find a good time here. We are the great queen city. Nothing is going to take us down. We are going to be the central city of the earth for all time. Revelation 18 verse 9 says, if you worship Babylon, you're going to live deliciously. That's an interesting word to put with worshiping the devil. That sounds like the wording of uh, maybe the National Enquirer where those who live in Hollywood live deliciously or something of that nature. It just means that people are going to have everything that their selfish hearts could ever desire, including mind-altering drugs. Look at verse 23. In the King James Version, you're going to find the word sorceries. By thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Now, sorceries has two meanings. It points to Satan worship uh, and demonism, black magic, witchcraft, but also a second meaning for sorcery. The Greek word for sorcery is pharmakeia. Can you hear the word pharmacy there? What do you get in a pharmacy? Well, you get legal drugs in a pharmacy. However, pharmakeia refers to drugs that are mind-altering, drugs that we would consider evil and, and illegal. So in that day of the Antichrist, in that day ahead of us of the Great Tribulation, while we might keep those kind of drugs illegal, it seems that it's highly likely that they will be legalized in this society of the future. There's a movement in our nation right now to legalize marijuana, is it not? In fact, I think it's legal in some sections of our country right now. We're at the beginning phases of legalizing, mind-altering, life-changing drugs. It's going to be rampant in the day of the Great Tribulation in the great city of Babylon. But mind-altering, hallucinogenic drug usage is rampant in the Antichrist Babylon. And in the days of the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist will have probably legalized them all. So we're seeing here a kingdom where immorality and adultery and drug usage and Satan worship and hatred of God Almighty is absolutely running wild. A day of the future. Humans in a state of utter rebellion against anything that is of God. And of course, it's led by the government. The Antichrist is at the head of the rebellion. What happens? Well, to put it very simply, God says, you guys are going to be toast. I'm not putting up with this any longer. Look at Revelation 18, verse 6. 18, 6. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled 
fill to her double. So God says, your punishment, Babylon, is going to fit your crime. I am doubling repayment for your sin. I am doubling the punishment for your sin. And in the course of one earthly day, this great nation, this great city that says, we are the queen city of the world. We're the home of the Antichrist. We're the leader of the world. In one day, God is going to wipe out and burn to the ground the kingdom of the Antichrist. It will be swift, it will be total, and it will be done. Now look at chapter 18, verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Is that the only time that God would judge in such a swift way? No. Think back to Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. That center of earthly sin was destroyed in a moment. And that's the way God's power worked. It worked in the Old Testament on the, in the beginning of time. It's going to work at the end of earthly time. The same way God's power has not changed and he can wipe out that evil in the course of less than a day. God's punishment upon Babylon is going to be swift. It is going to be total. Now, as he destroys Babylon, it affects the entire world. There are, there's a ripple effect. When God brings Babylon down, when God burns it, does away with it, it affects the whole world in this ripple effect. Basically, when he destroys Babylon, Revelation 18 says there are three classes of people who are going to weep and mourn when God brings destruction to the kingdom of the Antichrist, to Babylon. Number one, first, according to Revelation 18, 9 and 10, kings and rulers will wail because their economies are all tied to the economy of Babylon. So when Babylon falls, it will cause this domino effect around the world and every kingdom's authority, or rather economy, that's tied to Babylon, that economy is going to crumble as well because Babylon is now gone. So economies around the world, the financial world is going to fall in and implode and be gone when Babylon falls. That's the first group. The second groups affected are merchants. Chapter 18 verses 11 through 16 describes the merchandise that will no longer be able to be sold to bring in money. People are not going to be able to buy gold or silver or diamonds or silk or marble or flour or oil or animals any longer. Everything that was once bringing in money for a good price is now worthless. It cannot be purchased because money is worthless. The economy is gone. Now, I think the last few words of verse 13 are very interesting. Listed in all of those items that are not going to be able to be sold says that the souls of men are included in that listing of things not sold. It seems that the Antichrist has somehow revived slavery. Of course, today, you know, we are right now in the midst of learning about human trafficking and that indeed it is growing in our world. It is, we have a center in Washington. We have a center in Richmond of human trafficking. It's around the world. Human trafficking is a form of slavery. So we see that form of slavery happening in our day. As the great tribulation comes, it will only be multiplied and souls of men will be sold into slavery. So it seems that the Antichrist in a future day revives it 
I would not doubt that Christians are the ones who will be arrested and sold into slavery because they are very persecuted people. People who receive Jesus Christ and live for him are going to be greatly persecuted during the Great Tribulation. People of God will maybe be nothing more than work animals in Babylon. So when Babylon falls, merchants suffer. The third class of people affected by Babylon's demise are mariners, sailors. They can no longer make money by transporting rich goods across the seas to other lands. God's judgment is so violent that all life is changed in Babylon. I want you to look at the list of no mores in verses 22 and 23. No more music, no more manufacturing, no more daily grinding grain, no more light, no more marriage, no more families to live godlessly. God has put a stop to all of that that was a lifestyle in Babylon. It's all been destroyed. So now with the destruction of the kingdom of the Antichrist, the world is just in this reeling state of political and financial ruin. Everything is falling apart. So I want you to hear the word ruin. That's on your sheet. Things have been ruined because Babylon has fallen. The whole world has gone into a, a tailspin. God has stepped in and materialism, listen, materialism has taken a back seat to majesty. Materialism is no longer the important thing. God is reestablishing his majesty as God and king of this earth and his universe. Well, as we study chapter 18, we see this financial collapse of the great tribulation. What do we learn? How does it apply to us? This is a future day. Babylon, I believe, is, is in process of developing right now. I believe that, that right now we may be headed to a worldwide monetary system where one unit of money is going to serve the whole. Uh, we're, we're moving in so many directions of a unified world, uh, not necessarily in a good way. But what do we learn? This is a future day. Babylon, the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist, all of it's in our future. How does it apply to us tonight? Well, I think the key lesson for the people of God is in chapter 18, verse 4. Underline that verse because it's a very important verse. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. A voice from heaven calls to John and to the people of God, Get out of Babylon. Do not get caught up in that materialistic godless way of life. The call is to stay true to Jesus Christ. Get out of materialism, get out of spiritual adultery, and stay true to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come out of Babylon. Just as really as God called Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he is calling the people of God out of Babylon and out of materialism. Jesus puts it very, very concisely. You know this verse well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon is simply the sum total of all the things of material on the earth. Money, possessions, fame, fortune. The Lord God says, come out of Babylon. Don't worship those things. Keep your worship centered in me. 
Keep your worship centered in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do not let money and stuff stand in the way of giving Jesus your life, your praise, surrendering to him. It's all right to have stuff, but we're supposed to own our stuff. Our stuff is not supposed to own us. What we see in Babylon is that the world owns people. We are to stand as owned by Jesus, owned by the Savior, surrendered to him. We use our stuff, but it does not control us. It doesn't, it doesn't own us. We are to own what we have. So here's the, here's the principal question that chapter 18 brings us to tonight. Who is our God? As we look at chapter 18 in these days of the Great Tribulation, some will probably say, the Antichrist is my God, I worship him. Some may say, the things of the world are my God because they've made me rich and I bow to those things and I use those things because I am richer. So the question of Revelation 18 is, does the Lord Jesus Christ sit on the throne of your life and my life or does something or someone else? What or who truly is our God? There's the question that we're posed by chapter 18. You and I need to come before the Lord tonight again to simply say, Lord, you are my Savior. You are my God. You are my master, and I follow you and you alone. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a family. Thank you for giving me children. They are precious to me, my children, my grandchildren, my extended family, precious to me, but I don't worship them. They are gifts to me by you. I worship the giver, not the gift. So tonight, you and I, and all the things that we have in this world, and all the blessings that we have, we don't worship the blessings. We worship the giver of the blessings. Amen? That's what chapter 18 calls us to do. Don't worship things. Don't worship people. Worship the giver of all good things. God says, come out of Babylon now. Don't be fooled by rusting, corroding, dying, passing things of this old world. Don't fall on your knees to worship stuff or mammon. Be true to the Lord God. I pray tonight that that's our commitment, that we will be true to the Savior, that all the good things that we have come from the hand of the greatest giver, and we worship the giver who gives us those things. Serving Jesus through the gospel, drawing people to the Savior, that's our goal. You know, in our society in particular, some folks have a great goal in life. Let me build up my bank account as big as I can get it. Let me gather as many material possessions as I can get. Let me see how much fame I can attain. I want my name to be a household name in the world, whatever it might be. But all of those things are going to come to an end. What's the old saying? You know, you've never seen a hearse followed by a U-Haul. You don't take it with you. You don't take it with you. It's not packed in the casket with us. All of those things are going to be left behind. But there's one thing that's eternal, and that's knowing and loving and serving and ministering on behalf of the Savior who gave his life for us. Everything else one day is going to fall but that Savior is going to stand forever, and we want to be with him. Tonight, praise God for people, the people of God, believers in the Lord Jesus, who want to surrender to him 
and put him and continue, and continue to allow him to be on the throne of our lives in all that we do. That's his purpose for our life as a believer every day. Keep him on the throne and witness this good news in this lost world so someone else can come to know the Savior that we know. And tonight, if you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have an absolute opportunity and an invitation to come to him. Jesus alone went to the cross. He is the great giver of eternal life. He tells us in John 14, 6, that he is the way and the truth and the life. There is no other way to God the Father but by him. Tonight, if you've never received him, or maybe somewhere down the line, long after tonight is done and someone is listening to a CD of this sermon, if you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's waiting for you. He died on the cross for you because he loves you personally. Someone once said, if you were the only person that ever lived on this earth, he would have still died on the cross because you needed him. If you've never received him, the invitation to him as Savior is wide open for you to come and to receive him. See Pastor Clyde, see me, see a trusted brother or sister, and we will be sure you understand the way to come to that Savior so eternal life is yours. He's waiting for you. Give it up and come to him.